0: The last show for me was I was referred to a GI specialist. I went in there, I redid the H pylori test. It was negative. Mm-hmm. And the suggestion was that I should do a colonoscopy.
1: Oh my gosh. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fombat, and I spark the hard conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences whether good or bad will not only make you find your voice but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines, or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Living African Podcast. I am your host, Anya fumbat and I am here with a good sister and friend, Manin Doping. Now, today we will be talking about fibroids, which seems to be a recurring topic on this platform. And I decided to keep this conversation going on fibroids because as days go by, I have discovered and I still discover that there are many more women who face challenges with fibroids than it is spoken about. To me, honestly, out of all the health issues that you know I have been aware that are common to the African woman I feel like fibroids is the most popular but the least spoken about so I have made it a mission on this platform to bring this topic as often as I possibly can because I feel like many more women have to feel comfortable talking about it and we have to take away the stigma that surrounds fibroids because I've also come to learn that when a woman says she has fibroids the first thing everybody thinks about is her ability to conceive, her ability to have children. And maybe some men may get scared of that and shy away from pursuing a woman who has fibroids and stuff. And I want to really debunk that narrative because that is not true. You can still have fibroids and have children and have them normally without any kind of intervention. So I just wanted us to further discuss this topic and give various perspectives with respect to it. And I'm super excited to have Mane on here who will give a very unique approach and perspective to Fibroids and how she handled that situation. So I wanna welcome you here, Mane. I am really, really excited to talk with you today. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing great actually. And thank you for this opportunity to share my story and um, to say that this is the first time that a lot of people, will be hearing that I have been challenged with fibroids since I was initially diagnosed in 2014.
2: Yeah.
0: And um, I think you probably are one of two people aside my immediate family to actually, you know, hear the story because oh all of them have been like, you know what, this is my story and I got to handle it the best way that I can.
1: I know. Wow, so to say I'm honored is an understatement and... Uh... I know that I will definitely identify with parts of your story as someone as well who has suffered with fibroids as well. So I look forward to actually learning a lot from your own experience and being inspired as well. Now, let's take it, you know, a few steps back. Can you like introduce yourself to our guests to know more about you and, you know, just about you on a personal level?
0: Okay. So my full first name is actually Manenker, but I go by Mane because it's the short form of the first name and it's easy. Yeah. So it's Manenker Doping, originally from Cameroon. I moved to the US in, hmm, I can't remember the year, but I was 18 when I moved to the US.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Undergrad, I studied psychology. And the reason I'm actually mentioning that is because that journey actually helped me to you know, manage the challenges I came to face when I learned about, you know, certain health conditions.
3: Mm-hmm. So
0: after an undergrad degree with psychology, I moved on to get a graduate, um, a master's degree in occupational therapy. So I have been practicing as an occupational therapist for six years. And in the course of that journey, I have, it has been a continued learning journey from, you know, undergrad in psychology, practicing mm-hmm. as an occupational therapist.
1: Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. Now, how did, you know, you come about being diagnosed with fibroids? Like what warranted you to check yourself? Like what actually happened before we came to that realization that, you know, Hey, this could be fibroids.
0: Okay. So in 2000 and okay. When we initially came to the U S we had to do these how you call it? I think it's wholesome checkup where they had to check a bunch of things in order to get us into school. But when I came in, I think I was 17 or 18, and initially they thought I would be going into 12th grade. But when I was cleaned out, I went in straight into college. work. Well, so we had to do all this test. And then the person who did the test, the doctor who did the test, he said, I would recommend that as a wellness checkup, do an annual physical, which is something which back home we don't have or we don't do. Mm -hmm. So that is one thing that stuck with me. So in the following year, I did my annual checkup, 2008, 2008, 2009. I can't remember the exact date, but Mm -hmm. I know I moved to a four-year college in 2009. And I used to have these frequent headaches, and I could not understand why. Now, as someone who was interested in the healthcare profession, my initial thought was, oh, do I have a brain tumor? Hmm. And I was like, no, I haven't done my annual physical for the year yet. How about I go do it? So I did go do it. And then they found out I had low blood sugar. So my primary care at the time was, what? just have like candy bars, you know, ready to eat when Mm -hmm. you feel like your sugar is low or eat it two to three hours after your meals. So your sugar doesn't drop too low before you get to eat it. Mm -hmm. So now as, as a young person back then excited about the, you know, the past, you just, you know, eat candy because Hey, it's the doctor said, so that's what I did. But I found out it wasn't helping me because I would, eat maybe breakfast or lunch then two hours later i'm looking forward to eating the candy so i don't have the headache mm-hmm. but then the thing i later learned about chocolate especially if it's not dark chocolate is that it raises your blood sugar
3: mm-hmm.
0: and it, it drops so you have the sugar high and then you have the sugar crash mm-hmm. now because i did not want to feel that sugar crash i kept eating candy until it was time to eat my next meal mm-hmm. So I wasn't, and it was kind of affecting my school because I can't study if I have a headache or if I'm having a sugar crash. So I said, okay, there's gotta be a way out of this. How can I manage my blood sugar without, you know, having this whole run-on-one with candy? Yeah. So back then, a Google search, you know, they were like, oh, um, you have to do a sugar detox and blah, blah, blah. So I did one, which was, you know, to fade off the candies and increase my food intake yeah so I came across a research well it wasn't scientific back then I wasn't you know going based off of scientific research I was just going off of something that could help me at the moment Mm -hmm. so I came across a lot of um, personal stories of you know getting rid of candies and increasing food intake Mm -hmm. so I did that for like a weekend and to say that the detox was crazy, it was crazy. Mm-hmm. But I was able to fade that out and increase food intake. So that sort of helped me manage my blood sugar. So mm-hmm. the following year, I did my annual physical again. And the annual physical this time included a, uh, an annual pap smear, annual women wellness, which involves your pap smear and all of that. Mm-hmm. So the results came back that I had abnormal pap smear and the next step was to do a biopsy. So when they did a the biopsy, the doctor, the GYN who did it, he gave me a pamphlet that on the, on the cover page, it was like a, a trial medication that was going on for women who could either have abnormal pap and were possibly diagnosed with um, cervical cancer or something along those lines. Yeah, and, and the ingredients of that trial drug were like cruciferous, vegetables like cabbage, kale, and all of that. So the doctor was like, review this while we're waiting for your results. So in my mind, that was scary because I'm like, what? Well, in my early late teens, and I'm getting a diagnosis of possible possible cancer. So with that information, I went on to do my research about the benefits of you know, cruciferous vegetables. And I said to myself, well, hey, what's the worst that could happen if I start including these foods in my Mm -hmm. diet? At least it would put me at a better chance of healing or getting better if in case that turned out positive for whatever they were looking for. Yeah. Well, at this point, I didn't tell anybody about it because my family is, is a bunch of healthcare providers, you know, and I was struggling to deal with that information. And I wasn't ready to receive other insights. I was like, okay, let me wait for the results. If it's positive, then I can decide how to share it, right? And say that it's a possibility. And then I'm already scared. And then hearing from other people will be more scary. So long story short, results came back negative. But because I had a an abnormal path, the recommendations back then, I don't know if it's still the same now. The recommendations back then is if you have an abnormal path, you have to do it every year for, every the, next
2: year. Years. Yeah.
0: for the next three years. Mm-hmm. And then if they all come back um, normal, then you go back to doing was uh, every other year. Or every, every other year, year.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
0: So when it came back, I did it three years, it came back negative. So I was cleared to to go for three years without doing it. But then, so because of that experience, I became more in tune with my health or with my body. Mm-hmm. So if something wasn't feeling right, then I become curious I was ready to google anything any symptom but then it wasn't doing me any good because I'll be hypochondriac you
1: know, I, yeah <laughs> that's me right there
0: <laughs> So I had to like I said I did psychology on the graph so learning about the mind kind of helped me deal with the whole thing you yeah. know sometimes I would tell myself well it maybe it's all in my mind or maybe it's not hmm so the next symptom I noticed in 2012, that's when I that's the year I moved out of state to grad school. Mm-hmm. I started to notice that my lower abdomen would be distended, easily mm-hmm. get bloated and 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 um, all not. So I would Google it and what I came across was, well, the foods you're eating is making you gassy, your
3: mm-hmm.
0: hormones are all over the place, you know, your childbearing age, blah, blah, blah. But then I went for my annual that year and then my doctor recommended a an ultrasound Mm -hmm. so that was 2014 the results came and she was like oh you have fibroid but you don't have to do anything about it so now i remember my mom had it and she had surgery for it so when she said that word it was almost like i went into a trance but then she made it sound like it wasn't a big deal Mm -hmm. but i'm sitting there like why don't I have to not do anything about it? Because my my knowledge about Fibers prior to then was that it only happened in women 50 or 60 and older. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a young person thing. So I had all these thoughts running through my mind. And I asked her, like, well, is there any reason why I had it so young? I'm like, what, well, early, early 20s?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And she said, oh, no. And then she walked away. And then she came back and she was like, are you okay? I'm like, no, I'm not. She said, okay, what is your fear? Now, in my mind, my initial thought was, like you mentioned, the story is that if you have fibroids, you can't have kids.
2: Yeah.
0: That was what I was feeling, but I didn't say it. And then she pulled the chair and then she sat down. And then she said, are you scared that you might not be able to have kids? I said, yeah. And then they're tearing up. And she's like, oh, no, you're fine. Women carry kids with fibroids, they choose to take it out and still get pregnant. But she didn't make it, she made it sound like it was, you know, it won't bother me if I don't bother it. Pretty much that's what she said.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So I left the office with the, you know, the paper. That was the first time I started requesting like my, my, my physical result and all of that. I wanted to keep track. Mm-hmm. So I got into my car and I sat there for like, what? Well, quiet a little bit. Then I drove home but I didn't tell anybody about it. So this is 2014. So it wasn't quote unquote bothering me besides the fact that my stomach was distended and I was always bloated. Right. So fast forward to 2017, this is three years later, in November, I think it was the first weekend in November. So I worked, this was my second year working as a therapist. So we usually have this tradition where we order food, for a coworker who has a birthday and thing now around that year i had started learning because the bloating issue was getting to me right Mm
3: -hmm.
0: i mean i'm not really a person who wears like form-fitted clothes and things like that i'm into more like a t-shirt pants dress shirt kind of thing but i didn't like because i felt uncomfortable yeah they're researching about foods that cause bloating and blah 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 and so that weekend I worked with other Chinese and that same week I learned about MSG in food and it yeah. was possible. So now I don't know if it was my mind playing tricks over me. So after I ate that Chinese food, I started having very uncomfortable pain. It went for like three days. So the third day was a Sunday. I said, no, this thing is not going away. So let me go to a walking clinic. So I went into one. The doctor kind of like he just ran his fingers down my chest and I flinched because it was and he said, oh, you have appendicitis. Your appendix is about to explode. You need to get to the ER right now. And I'm looking at him like, okay, I know where my appendix is located. Mm -hmm. he's He's the doctor. So let me not fight him. Now, because I had an experience with emergency, whatever, that kind of traumatized me. I said, okay. If I could tolerate the pain to drive to the clinic, I can drive myself to the ER, mm-hmm. which I did. So I get to the ER is 11 p.m. on a Sunday night. The next day I had to work, so I get in there. They take my blood pressure and it was really high. And the lady was like, "Oh, you have high blood pressure. You should take this medication." And I said, "I don't have a high blood pressure, but my blood pressure is high because I'm in severe pain and I'm Very anxious." Pain, yeah, yeah. So she looks at me like. Why am I sounding like I know what I'm talking about? But then she mm-hmm. walks away. Then she comes back and she's like, okay, we have a bed for you, change into to your robe and somebody will be there with you. So they set me up to put you know, monitors and all of that. And my blood pressure starts to go down. She comes in, she looks at me and then she walks away. So they um, scheduled me for a scan. No, before they scheduled me for a scan, the doctor came in and he said, no, it was a lady, it was a physician assistant. She came in and she said, you might want to let your family know in case you're going to go in for surgery.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: And I'm like, surgery for what? But that was me thinking, I didn't ask her that. But I was like, okay, if it turns out it's really my appendix. Because at this point, I had not told anybody that I had been to patient first. um, So back then, I think WhatsApp wasn't a thing. But my parents and my younger brother, we had like a WhatsApp um, group text. Mm -hmm. So I just dropped a message there. Okay, I'm at the ER. I might going for surgery for appendicitis. That's all I said. So they came, they they did a CT scan or MRI. I don't know what that was. Then I went back to the bed. Now, mind you, at this point, I have not mentioned anybody about fibro. So I'm laying in the bed and then the physician assistant comes in. Now, this part kind of offended me in the sense that as a healthcare provider, before I provide any kind of information to my patient, and if I walk into their room, I would always ask, were the people there? Not that like I was trying to hide it from my family, but I wanted to be able to explain it to them,
3: not yeah.
2: for them
0: to hear it like that. Yeah. But this lady comes in, she's like, oh, your results are out. It's not your appendix, but your fiber. And you should pull over your physician assistant. Somebody will give you payment, and will send you home. And I'm like, so my mom is looking at me like, now... The consolation to me was okay. They were hearing it for the first time, so maybe to them, I'm just getting diagnosed. Mm-hmm. But I had known about it for three years. But all I was told was do nothing about it if it doesn't bother you. Okay. So the guy brings the pain med. I take it. I drive myself home. By the time I get home, it was like 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. So the next, so I took the pain. No, I took the pain med when I got home because I think the medication makes you drowsy. Yeah, I didn't want to take it and then I have to drive. So I drove home to so the pain medication sleep. Woke up 5 a.m. and I texted my boss that, oh, I can't make it to work. Then my phone, like I had like a, I can't remember how many missed calls I had. One of them was my grandma. So I called her back and she said, hmm, now what's how you come up with people just see? And I was like,
2: oh.
0: So I understand where she was coming from with yeah. that. But the way it hit me.
2: Yeah. I was like,
0: yeah. that's what she's thinking. Because my parents didn't say anything in the house. So I'm like, if that's how she's thinking. Then people of her time, of yeah, her age, thinking that think way.
1: Oh my God, that's true.
0: But even though I knew that women with five would still have kids, I wasn't in a space to explain that to her, mm-hmm. or I didn't even think that she would understand it. Mm-hmm. So when she said that, I was just quiet. So she said, "Okay, my baby, can I sleep? You? We go sleep for a weekend. I couldn't go to sleep. So." From that time, you know the stories were like, "Oh, hurry up and have kids, or you might not be able to have kids, or blah blah." You know, only within the family. And I'm like, "Oh, okay. If I have to deal with this coming from within the family, well, what more know the world out there?" So more reason why I didn't tell anybody. You know, my closest friends, closest cousins. I was like, yeah. "I'm not. I'm not ready to to deal with that information." You know, from Outside people. So that's that's how I learned re relearned about fibroids because it wasn't the first time for me, but it was the first time.
1: Right. Right. Wow. You've really said so much that I could personally identify with and also, you know, not only personally, but also like from the whole stereotypical level, you know, about women having fibroids who are not able to have kids. And then also, you know, the change in the times, like people of the previous generation, how they communicate and stuff like that. Sometimes it could come off as insensitive, even though they're coming from a place of love and they probably don't know better, you know, so dealing with all those things. And then also with your own fears, because regardless of whether you know the truth or not, sometimes when someone raises a concern, which may be faulty, it actually adds that anxiety and fear in you, you know, even if you know that it's not true, you still just have that feeling like, oh my God, this is a possibility, you know? So let's take it to the, from 2017, I believe that's when you had that ER visit. Now, after that, how was life for you, you know, trying to leave and deal with fibroids? Like what other, do you have any other, did you have any other follow-up visits with the doctor? What therapy did they recommend? What worked? What did not work? And like basically how did that whole experience also impact you emotionally, mentally, and even with the relationships in your life?
0: Okay. So after that, that mo- when I left the ER, the physician assistant said I should follow up with my primary care and GYN. So when I woke up the next day, I called my primary care and I got an appointment. And then when I went in, she referred me to a network of GYNs. So the first GYN I saw was a guy and he, he kind of confirmed what I was thinking. And my thought was that given the the location of the fibroids, I did not think that that was what was causing the discomfort, but like I said, say it's, it's not my area of expertise. So it was my mm-hmm. thinking, but I didn't voice it out. So when I went to him, that's what he said. But I wanted a second or third opinion, either to confirm that or to lead me to a different direction. Mm-hmm. So I saw another G1 and is a guy. Actually, this network was like a, a siblings, two brothers and a sister. Mm-hmm. So I went to the other guy, And he said, oh, my God, you have to get it out. You have to get it out now. And in some cases, the women have to take out their uterus. And I'm like, "Okay, thank you for your opinion. Right. (laughs) Then I went to the woman and she said she could refer me to like a pelvic floor specialist to Mm -hmm. do pelvic floor exercises. And based on my knowledge of pelvic floor exercises, I thought that it was only for women post-birth to kind Mm -hmm. of strengthen. That was my thinking. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, maybe let me try that and see if it helps with the pain. But the pain, I think I tried to schedule a couple of times with a therapist, but I couldn't, I didn't actually get it going because either she would reschedule or I would reschedule.
3: Mm -hmm. So I
0: set out to do my own research again to see how I could help myself while waiting to actually, you know, get to see the therapist. Mm -hmm. So I think my insurance changed because I was on the Obamacare thing where you could stay on your parents' insurance until you were 26 or something. Yeah. So my insurance changed. I was still in grad school, so I didn't have insurance. So I had Medicaid, but it only covered, you know, certain things. Mm -hmm. And I think it covered my my primary care. So I went back to her and I said, I'm not the expert, but I feel like something else is going. Something else is causing this this discomfort. Yeah. She had me do an H. pylori test, which came back positive. And to me, I was like, oh, you know, something else is the issue and this is what it is. Yeah. So I treat men and then I got better and I retested. Mm-hmm. But then I could still faintly feel the discomfort.
1: Yeah. And I just want to interrupt you a little bit to just give our listeners insight on what H. pylori is. H. pylori is a kind of bacteria that lives in your gut that's in your gastrointestinal system. And um, sometimes when uh, you have an infection or a positive test, it could cause discomfort, which is primarily pain, like Gastrointestinal pain or stomach pain, in common layman's terms, you know, so that actually is kind of like a signature uh, symptom. In addition to other things like you know diarrhea and all of that, so that's just perspective. So she did that test because she still kept feeling pain, and it came out positive. Yeah.
0: So I took the treatment, and then I retested, and then it was negative. But like I said, I was still feeling the faint discomfort. Mm -hmm. So I went back to her and she said, well, how about we take a look at GERD? And she presented me medication for GERD. At this point, I felt like, so based on my research, I felt like, you know, that's like an antibiotics for the H-pattery. And antibiotics Mm -hmm. has a way of doing something to your system.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: So I felt like, do I really want to keep taking medications for the rest of my life? Now, in the the case of GERD, I wasn't tested. Mm -hmm. So it was just like, you know, let's try this medication and see if it helps. So I said, okay, how about I research about foods Mm -hmm. that, you know, gives you that feeling? Yeah. I did the research and I avoided those foods. And then the feeling kind of went away.
1: Right. And again, I wanted to uh, interrupt to give perspective as well, because I mean, we, we, our audience, some of our audience, you know, they're not. They don't have the healthcare background. <laughs> so it's always important to try to explain the meanings of this thing. So GERD, in other words, uh, it's closely related to reflux. So when you have like reflux or, you know, heartburn, those are just, I mean, from a healthcare perspective, it's not like the same thing, but they Extremely similar. So, but in common man lay terms, um, I would just say think of it as heartburn and reflux, gastric reflux. So, um, when you have any of that, you have that discomfort in your stomach that you just want to like, you keep burping and you feel like the food is coming up or you have heartburn and all of those things. So, that's basically what GERD is in layman's terms.
0: So, I avoided the foods and then the feeling was gone for a little bit and then came back. And mm-hmm. I went back to primary care. So this time she suggested I do an ultrasound for my pancreas and my gallbladder. Yeah. And with the ultrasound, it's not as detailed. So the interpretation was possible pancreatis, like inflammation of the yeah. and possible gallstone. So I went back to my primary care, she referred me for I think an MRI. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, at this point, I I think I just now got insurance from for my job, and the the my copay was eight hundred mm. dollars.
3: I'm
0: like, wow, okay. So it, if I back to the the ER story, I also had a co-pay of like twelve hundred dollars, and I was mm-hmm. in the ER for like what oh, two hours. I had to do a payment plan for that one to pay it up, but, but anyway, so hearing this eight hundred dollars, I was like, okay. Hopefully this tells me, you know, something, you know, given how much it costs me. I went in, nothing, no gallstones, no, you know, permission of the pancreas. So this, this whole journey took me about two years. This is 2017, mm-hmm. you know, 2018. The last show for me was, I was referred to a GI specialist. I went in there, I redid the H-pattery test. It was negative. Mm-hmm. And the suggestion was that I should do a colonoscopy.
2: Oh my gosh.
0: Now, I read about colonoscopy and whew, I was like, Lord Jesus, it's been yeah. two years. There's, there's got to be a way out of this. Mm-hmm. So in my research, now I was leaning more towards like more scientific like research, not so much personal stories. I mean, even though the personal stories were helpful, I feel like the health journey is different for different people. Yeah. So I said, okay, I'll hold off on the colonoscopy. And let me change my my, my diet, my, my lifestyle pretty much. Mm-hmm. And in my research, I came across chronic inflammation. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty much the underlying cause of a lot of medical conditions, including, including fibro. Mm. So I learned about how to, you know, limit or eliminate certain things and increase the intake of certain things. And two years later, I started to feel like myself, even though the bloating was still there. Right. And I was like, okay, I can, I know I've lived with the bloating for a number of years, but two years later, this whole discomfort is no longer there. I can, I know I can live with that for, for that. So the lifestyle change is kind of what I would say helped me manage the symptoms mm-hmm. because I've also read that fibroids can cause gastrointestinal discomfort. Yeah. Depending on where it's located and depending on the size.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So that change, I would say, has been the most help or the most relief I have received for me to the point that, and also losing weight. Because mm-hmm. not that like I was obese,
3: mm-hmm. but
0: American BMS standard, I was overweight.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: But it was harder to lose weight because the foods that we eat, especially for women, yeah. increases our hormones. Yeah. And fibroid, for now I'm not licensed to diagnose, but I have read too many books to count, like books from medical doctors, from, I have attended, you know, seminars about food and all of that. Yes. There was a hormonal imbalance linked to fibroid, as well as other conditions women face from PCOS to endometriosis and all of that. Yeah learning about that helped me to make certain changes yeah to manage the condition right So I would say that that's one thing that has um, helped me manage the symptoms and sort of slow the go yeah and earlier this year I did the follow-up in an ultrasound and when the doctor was reading the results she said there's a little shrinkage but you still need to get them out. And I told her to repeat because I had not, it was the the results were through um was virtual. Mm-hmm. So oh wait, because that was the first time in how many years I was hearing that the trunk.
1: Yeah. And uh, how big were there before when you were diagnosed in the ER?
0: Well, I don't remember exactly what size they were in 2014, but in 2019, there were three large. There was a 10, 10 centimeters, no, nine centimeters, seven, seven, and five point something Mm -hmm. and then when she read it the two big ones had shrunk like a centimeter or or so or more Mm -hmm. but the smaller one had not shrunk Mm
3: -hmm.
0: and to me that was sort of like a relief that whatever it is that I'm doing is either helping manage it right or slow the growth or shrink it
2: right right
0: and I literally cried like I was like whoa because it's It's been challenging, especially the week leading to my period and the week of my period. It's I go from having a six packs in two weeks to looking six months pregnant
2: right, right
0: it's it's like I'll wake up one morning and I'm getting ready and then oh wait a minute, what happened then it clicks that like, oh you have five weeks when you're bloated right so it's it's like talking myself through. to' them. I'm like, oh, it's two weeks you got pain oof. I'm just staring. I'm thinking about it.
2: I know. I know.
0: It's it's been so uncomfortable to the point that say there'll be an event, and I'm like, yeah. oh, give me the date, you know, because I have to look at my calendar and see, okay, where does this fall mm-hmm. on my cycle, and see if I can handle. Because sometimes it comes with so much hormonal imbalance that yes. oof, I I just don't want to be bothered. I want to be left alone. Yeah. If the event happens to me. The week prior to my period or the week of my period, I'm just like, you know what? Let's see how I feel on that day. And if I can mm-hmm. make it up, I can't make it. Now, I really didn't tell people why. couldn't. I just wouldn't show up. Now, if somebody asked, I'd be like, oh, no, I was just tired. And I think that one of the greatest challenges, especially with women, is that yeah. there's the assumption that or other women looking from the outside. When I say, oh, I'm tired. And they look at me like, why are you tired? You're not married. You don't have kids. So, why are you tired? Right. Like, I get it. I get that having kids is exhausting, mm-hmm. but you don't. There's know more that
1: things what, that cause tiredness than having kids, obviously.
0: You don't know what people's lives are like for them to feel. So, it got to a point where I wouldn't even say I'm tired. I'll just say, I won't say anything. I'll go to events, show my face, and just disappear. And then they're like, oh, we didn't see you leave. I'm like, well, I had to leave.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I stopped trying to explain why i couldn't Mm -hmm. show up or why i couldn't leave and in as much i was in as much as i deal with those challenges one thing i find or one thing i tell myself is because i read other people's stories right Mm -hmm. and their symptoms are so bad i'm like whoa like i don't have pain
3: Mm -hmm.
0: like i don't have pain with it i only have the bloating and the, the discomfort, and the um, and the discomfort is almost like I feel like somebody is squeezing me.
1: Yeah, the tightness. Yes, mm-hmm. that's
0: what I feel, and the, the tiredness, of course. So I get so tired so easily. And then when I'm not like the two weeks, you know, away from the period, the week before and the period week is, I have so much energy to the point that because I do shoots on the side, you know, because yeah. of the bread- What's have been to me. I do it on the site for events, and, and you know, I'll pick up a watermelon with one arm, you know,
3: and wow. drop
0: it. Yeah, I will haul five watermelons up three flights of stairs. I have that energy, but when it comes to that period, I'm just looking at people like people even talking too much.
2: Yeah, it's, 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 you. yeah,
1: yeah,
3: but
2: that's when, interesting.
1: So, you know, oh, yeah. I, um, I, I, I should have said this disclaimer at the start of the episode, which I forgot and I apologize for that. But I just want the audience to know that whatever we share here is based on personal experience. Even though we both have a healthcare backgrounds, we're not professionals in the field. We're not OBGYN. We're not gastroenterologists. We're not endocrinologists or whatever field or specialty that's related to any of this diagnosis or discussing this. So this is strictly based on personal experience and research. And so take that and apply it to your your own life, knowing that it's based on someone else's experience. Now, I also said that to ask you this question, because you said, you know, you did some lifestyle changes. So what specific lifestyle changes did you do? Like what foods did you eliminate? What foods did you feel like were helpful to you? And what foods have you felt like, you know, have restored your energy or at least improved your symptoms?
0: Okay. The word food groups I had to eliminate include meat red meat especially mm-hmm. chicken and fish if it's not wild caught mm. and um dairy dairy cheese yogurt now this is based on personal well not re- not scientifically research but there are reports that mm-hmm. egg yolk,
1: yeah the yolk of an egg it has a lot of yeah, pretty much
0: animal products because yeah. they are ways with hormones Mm -hmm. especially in the u.s when we consume them be male or female it Mm -hmm. influences our natural hormonal balance Mm -hmm. but it's more in the case of women because our hormones changes throughout the month yeah so if you're consuming artificial hormones from animal products you know it does that thing so the broad group is animal-based product yeah to eliminate. and then processed foods and carbs you know white bread white pasta processed meat ham you know salami and, and all of that yeah. so that's the broad the broad group
2: yeah then
0: you have sugar you know artificial sugars artificial sweeteners those are the things i have which is challenging because i feel like the early you know when i first had a low blood sugar thing and i was you know, feeding off of. Cake cat was my favorite.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So I kind of feel like I developed a sweet tooth that it's it's hard to completely eliminate those things. Now, I don't buy them, which is how I am able to discipline myself.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: But if I happen to be in an event, you know, there was a birthday party, that I like, oh, how can you not eat the cake? Now, sometimes I won't eat it. Yeah. Sometimes i like, you know what? I just want to sugar. Yeah. But the thing that I have learned over the years with um, eliminating or limiting these things is that when I do get to eat this cake or sugary thing, the moment it hits my uh, my tongue, it's almost mm-hmm. like my whole body sh- kind of like shrinks. Yeah. It's almost like when you stay away from certain foods for so long, yeah, eat, it's like your body is talking to you, like you know you shouldn't eat this. This is what's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. So it's it's been that you know challenge. of, Yeah avoid it then you eat it and then it's like you drop and then you come up and I been so some ones that I'll be so good that I will feel as bloated mm-hmm. and I'll be wondering uh, oh my god what's happening to my hormones are they balancing out because I've been so used to being uncomfortable yeah or imbalanced to the point that when, when I get to the week prior to my period the week of my period and I'm like oh my god what's happening you know mm-hmm. it's it's been a rollercoaster
1: kind of journey. Right, right. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and that's basically a familiar diet that I have also read about in terms of, you know, just improving diet to, to improve the outcome of fibroids. Because as we speak, based on my own research, and I, I believe also based on facts, there's really no specific cure for fibroids per se. And I feel like, you know, even the diagnosis and stuff like that, Your story that when you spoke about, you know, the first time when they said, well, not the first time, but when you went to the ER and they were talking about appendicitis, that's really familiar because I've spoken to someone again before who actually was misdiagnosed as having appendicitis to the point that they actually went and operated upon her. I don't know if you've listened to her episode yet. Hilda. Yeah, she was operated for appendicitis and she had fibroids, you know, even when I was pregnant, I don't know if I had mentioned this before, but when I was pregnant with my baby, cause I have fibroids and I was considered, my pregnancy was considered high risk. I had two fibroids, which initially were small, but with the pregnancy and the spike in hormones, they grew because they fed off of those hormones. And um, so I was being monitored closely, but there was one time when I think I had like a fibroid degeneration just a little bit, which is one of the most painful experiences I've ever had. Like that pain literally woke me up from sleep and I had to go to the ER when I was like six months pregnant and I was in so much fear. And the first thing that was said was that it could be a possible that I was checked for actually was for possible appendicitis, you know. So I freaked out because I'm like six months pregnant. If I have an appendicitis, I would have to get operated upon what's going to happen to the baby. But fortunately, or I don't even want to say fortunately or unfortunately, but in terms of the saving the baby's life, that was a fortunate event because it was just a fiber degeneration, which was extremely painful. And fibroid degeneration typically happens during pregnancy when let's say, you know, with the hormones and everything, the baby feeds off of it too. So it's like the baby fighting with the hormone. My little trooper apparently was sucking out all the food. And when the fibroids are starving, then they keep, they they start dying or degenerating, you know, Uh, that's just the easiest way to put it. So, but that's extremely painful. And that's, that was a scare that I had when I was pregnant. It's one of those things that it can easily be misdiagnosed for appendicitis. And a lot of women have probably been operated upon or misdiagnosed, you know. So it's a very complex disease that even in current times, a lot of health professionals still have that difficulty trying to put their hands on like the cause or the treatment because a treatment apart from, you know, like just opening you up to take it out and stuff like that which does not necessarily mean that it's treated. It could still grow back, you know? Yes. So that's one of the struggles that we face. And because of all these gray areas, that's why I felt like it was very important for us to have this conversation and talk about it. Now, um, when was the last time you had your last scan and what was the outcome? So that was
0: March, March of this year.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's
0: when I learned that for the first time in since 2014, they were shrinking. Mm-hmm. But before that, I had it the year before and they were pretty much the same size yeah because um my primary care recommended I do scans every six months to one year just to monitor it Mm -hmm. and each time I always ask for a copy of the results because when I did the one last year because I felt like I had really put a lot of effort into my lifestyle change last Mm -hmm. year and even though hearing that they had not grown was positive, mm-hmm. I still felt like I wasn't doing enough.
3: Yeah. And
0: you know, beating myself up and all whatnot. And at the beginning of this year, I'm like, okay, what's what's one more thing that you know I can try? What's one more thing that I can do differently? And stress, actually alters our hormones and yep. hormone imbalance
3: mm-hmm.
0: is linked to fibroids. So I made it a point to because it, it was amazing to learn about the things that we think that the everyday life, but yeah. they're actually stressful. Mm-hmm. Something as you know, in fact it's it's hard to like you know figure it out over the top of my head, but Something as simple as deep breathing, you know, it helps you yep.
1: relax. Yeah, it helps. I actually energy. learned
0: that, you know, when work gets stressful, I kind of like tense up, and I hold stress. You know, my neck mm-hmm. and all of that. You know, and then learning to release that. Another perspective I came across, like I said, I'm not diagnosed you know, anything of that sort, is that there is the school of thought that. As women, we tend to carry, you know, carry kids or carry Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that whole emotional pent-up energy Mm -hmm. that we don't know how to express it, you know, stuck within us. And and that kind of took me back to my initial thought about fibroids only happening in older women
2: because
0: the story I had heard was that when women are not having the kids that they want to have, they still have these hormones going through them and because it's not going through you know, making a kid. Mm-hmm. It just collects in there and, you know, forms whatever it does. And I've actually gone into a lot of natural health or natural healing thing. Mm-hmm. And one thing I learned is that the liver is actually kind of your brain, kind of your second brain.
1: Yeah. And- it's like the powerhouse of the body. Yeah
0: you have to optimize the foods that we eat either overwork the liver and make it hard for it to eliminate toxins mm-hmm. so it just stays in the body so one thing i learned about fibroids is that people with fibroids not all in most cases they have high estrogen mm-hmm. and the liver helps to excrete the excess but then if we feed our liver we Less optimal food,
2: yeah,
0: it's not able to excrete it, so it stays in the body, and then it causes whatever it causes. So something I learned was um castor oil packs, which mm-hmm. I actually heard one of your um, guests in some episode talking about the benefits of castor oil packs.
2: Yeah,
0: to help you know help the liver excrete excess excess estrogen. Wow, um, yeah, like optimizing the liver. Not only for fibroids, but a lot of health conditions, which is actually what led, led me into my, um, um, my personal, my passion project, which is, you know, educating people on the benefits of the foods that we eat and how it impacts our health and how you could pretty much reverse most health conditions, especially like diabetes. You can go for, you can reverse your diabetes. It's not to say that you don't need medications for you. You can be on right. medication, changing your lifestyle you need to change
1: lifestyle habits yeah
0: but they got off of medications and be able to manage their lives without you know there was a there was a lot yeah there.
1: yeah thank you so much for sharing that actually I was going to you know just ask about the passion project and you know also before that I was also going to ask about you know what advice will you have for other women that are facing these issues which you kind of like bundled potential responses to both questions in one, but is there any other additional information or any message that you would like to pass or share with the audience?
0: I think that we have to be our own health advocate.
1: advocates. yeah.
0: Meaning that yes, you have to seek for professional help and also do your own research and, and mm-hmm. ask ask questions from a point of wanting to understand better not so much to want to prove a point because Mm -hmm. and i think and when i say this i think back to my own experience of you know asking questions i'm like okay what does this mean you know how does this present itself you know what can Mm -hmm. i do differently or it's because i know that some healthcare providers don't want to hear that oh um google said that no you can't compare somebody's professional education or the google search you know yeah just that's just i would say okay what do you think about this right without necessarily mentioning that you know you went to dr google and um and for the most part our healing is really in our hands right so even mm-hmm. if you decide to do medications or do surgery in this specific condition like you said they go back which yeah. means that there is an underlying issue that, we, that has to be addressed
2: mm-hmm.
0: in order to prevent it from going back or slow the growth of it.
2: Yeah.
0: There are some women who end up having, you know, some stories I have read where doctors would be like, you know, the only solution to this point is to take out your uterus. I don't know about that, but now in right. certain conditions, right, um, like Viola Davis, I haven't read her yes. entire book, but I I came across a little snippet of it where, in some cases, it is my third.
1: Yeah, it's my
0: I had to take the uterus out. Now,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I feel like, I don't know if she had the option to, you know, visit lifestyle changes. I don't know that. Yeah. But I feel like, because for my greatest fear is that, like with the whole appendicitis thing, my fear was that, what if they opened me up with appendicitis and it wasn't appendicitis?
2: Right, right.
0: right? And and I, w- I want the option of trying natural natural health, you know. Mm-hmm. And not so much is being spoken about lifestyle change. Yeah. It's always like, you know, take this medication.
2: You should be fine. Yeah.
0: Now, mm-hmm. my, my understanding of medication is that it numbs the symptoms.
2: Yeah. It's when like a band-aid, say- right?
0: <laughs> Some cases you might need to numb the symptom for a little bit in order to understand the underlying cause. Then you mm-hmm. do the lifestyle change and then maybe get off the medication. Yeah, but to just be on medication for for your for the life of your life. It's almost like medications do have side effects.
2: You know? Yeah, yeah.
0: So build up and maybe create a different thing that you need medication for, and this is like a, a ripple effect.
2: Right. Right. So,
0: and I'm not saying this to say that lifestyle changes any easy. No, it's not.
2: That's true.
0: And sometimes, because I love chocolate, like I have a sweet tooth for out mm-hmm. there. Sometimes I just be like, you know what? This one day, because the thing with the hormonal imbalance is that sometimes it's so bad that I just want to curl up in the ball and stick yeah. up to it, and then yeah. wake up. And that's what uh, another thing too with that too is anemia. You know.
1: Yeah, because yeah, it, it's your blood. So, yeah, you have low blood levels, iron yeah, levels. Most,
0: most people who I'm kind of close with, they don't want to get, get into any house. Two things I look for, a couch and a blanket.
1: Right, right. Yep, I'm yeah. always cold too.
0: But the funny thing is that when I do my blood work, I'm not anemic. It's not... Sh- well, this last year, it showed anemic for the first time, but then I got on iron pills. Right. And then... um. I redid it, the iron was up. So now I looked for foods that, you know, help improve your iron.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's what I feed of just so that I don't have to, you know, be on medication for the rest of my life. But either way, I could, I could think back to, you know, times where I'm just cold. I can't explain why I'm cold. And people always be like, oh, she's always sleeping. She's always wrapped up in the blanket. But like I said, I I didn't feel like explaining why. Right. After dealing with, you know, family, you were like, oh, you might not have kids and blah, blah, blah. I don't want to hear it from anybody else. Mm-hmm. So and incident, I walked into, um, there was a house party. House party. Now, around my prayer, I tend to wear loose fitting clothes or black. Even when I'm not yeah. on a
2: prayer.
0: Yeah. Like, it makes me feel like I'm constricted.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I want to feel loose. So I walk into this event and this girl said, what are you hiding in there? Now, my initial thought was to say, oh, it's not your child. It's not your relative. Like I was, I wanted to get back at her for her to feel the way that I felt by her comment.
2: Yeah.
0: It's not like it's your brother's child or your boyfriend's child or your father's child. Like I have the ability to get, you know, I mean, it's not usually needed, Mm -hmm. but sometimes that's what hits me first. Yeah. But then again, I'll just say, I'm just bloated. That's all. But because it's almost like it's a normal thing to be bloated, which is not. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have fibroids, other things like gut bacteria imbalances mm-hmm. can cause, which is not a normal thing. That's a topic for a different day. But yeah. Society has normalized women being bloated, but it's not okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we can also talk about so many things that society has normalized, you know. But I'm glad that we had this conversation because it um, just goes to show that we need to talk more about this, right? We need to debunk all of these ideologies that are false and hurting women emotionally, mentally, and psychologically. Um, We need to keep having conversations like this because it's needed. In as much as it's common, it's not usually or typically spoken about. And that's why we're making, having an effort, making an effort actually to talk about it. Now, how can our guests reach out to you if they have any questions or if they want to support any projects you're passionate about?
0: Okay. So I am only on Instagram. Instagram is the only social media I'm on for now. So my personal is Miss Nane and the one where I talk more about health. Not really. In fact, I have, I don't think that I have really ever spoken about fibroids on that page. I
3: mm-hmm. share.
0: I mean, I share other people's information about fibroids, brother, mm-hmm. and also other health conditions. You know, anything. Mental health, you know, is influenced by what we eat and, and everything from a simple headache to yeah. a wound healing. So, on my Nana's food page, that's where I mostly share information. Mm-hmm. And also another project I am passionate about, which is not really mine, but it's friends. It's called Generosity Global.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I joined. Um, I became like a volunteer in 2014. Mm-hmm. And my story is that I was away at grad school. You know, I actually went to grad school in that state because I was running away from family. You know, all this pressure. You know, get married, have kids. So I didn't want to hear it. You know. So Mm -hmm. I felt like, you know, being out of sight, I hear it less. Mm -hmm. So in that isolation per se, I just, you know, one day in my room, I was like, God, show me how I can be part of something bigger than me. Mm -hmm. And then there used to be this um, book club that used to happen by phone. So I hopped on the book club and there was this guy talking about, you know, it's what he does in the community, which is feed the homeless um, every month. I think second side of the month only happens in Maryland, Baltimore. So I think sharing that kind of spoke to my heart.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. I became a volunteer in 2014. Every year he has an annual fundraiser, Mm -hmm. with the money goes towards building wells in African countries, providing water in areas that there is no water. Mm -hmm. So initially it started off as Selfless Saturday, a friend to the homeless. So they provide resources, food to people who are homeless and uh, Baltimore area. Then it merged into providing water, um, mostly in African countries. And Mm -hmm. recently it became, um, he added, so his wife, um, so his name is Rich Mm Aqua, and his wife is Erica. So they added a different branch, which is um, generosity, global, women. Actually, this shirt I am wearing Mm -hmm. is from that it says there's purpose behind it, period. Mm -hmm. Now, this one actually speaks to me personally, because For women with fabrics, in certain cases, you have like heavy period, right?
3: Mm
0: -hmm. So when I attended the recent, I think, so I've been attending every uh, mission ball since 2014.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: When I attended the recent one where he talked about how they were training, um, teaching women how to make reusable pads, Mm -hmm. it was kind of heartwarming because it made me wonder what women in that part of the country who don't have access to sanitary products
3: mm-hmm.
0: may be dealing with fibroids and have heavy bleeding
3: mm-hmm.
0: and they don't have you know so this this project actually provides that for them even if they don't have fibroids and you know they're just having like a normal normal menstrual cycle so mm-hmm. this this one is actually uh, it actually you know it speaks to me personally and um, I feel like it's it's almost like well, this is my personal opinion. I feel like rabbinatory products should be free in the U.S. because
1: as mm-hmm. women, we
0: choose to, you know, have a yeah. month, so we shouldn't have to pay. We yeah, have that. no control
1: over it, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: a story yeah. here, but well, at least um, it
1: should be covered by insurance. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because those those things are expensive. Because one mm-hmm. one change I had to make to was switch from using generic to using organic i mean generic sanitary products to using organic because another research i came across is that um sanitary products especially in the u.s hmm, i don't even know if i want to say this but it's, it has a lot of things in it hmm. that it's not safe for the body it like that hmm. like if you read the ingredients or whatever it's used to make a hmm. I don't want to use any names because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. generic versus organic or mm-hmm. made made by a woman. Mm-hmm. The stories behind it. You tend to, and I can say that I feel a difference. You know, when I switch from generic everyday periods, I mean sanitary mm-hmm. products too. And it's no, it's not cheap, but the benefits I feel health wise.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And like I say, insurance should be paying for that too because yeah. this is. It's a lifetime thing or well,
1: it's, it's a, a number of years of
2: having
1: to go through that. Yeah. It should, that's should true. be That's true. That. That's really a food for thought. But thank you so much for sharing all of that. And I hope that you can share that information, like everything you've shared with me, your contact, contact to, you know, products you're passionate about. And we're going to add that in the, in the show notes for this episode. Now, I really, really want to thank you for sharing your story. Your voice is very needed. Your voice adds to our attempt to keep these conversations going. And um, I truly appreciate you taking out your time to speak about your experience. It's not the easiest thing, especially in the African community, but I'm glad you let it out. And I really hope that other women in our community can be inspired by your story and understand that they're not alone and also try to keep the conversation going either on this platform or within their circles. So I just want to really thank you. I don't know if you have any last words to offer before we, we round up.
0: First to really thank you for this platform because like I said, there's like for people who know me personally, I, I seldom talk. I'm always the listener or the observer. But after, just from the title of your podcast, when I first listened to the first episode, I don't remember what episode that was, but it spoke to me. Like I have a story. I mean, I have stories in different aspects of my life, but I felt like this particular story is is um is what I need to get out there. And just from the title of your podcast, it made me want to share that story, which like I said, you might be the second besides my immediate family. Immediate
2: family, yeah.
0: You're probably the second person to hear it from me. And also um just listening to the other interviews, like I, something I've also learned in reading is that some people only share their stories with people that they have found that they can handle the information. And, and I must really say that, like I said, I'm an, I'm an observer. I'm an, I have a psychology, you know, I'm yeah. you make it easy for people to want to share their story. Right. And, I listened to a bunch of podcasts, you know, by Africans, by like me, and for whatever reason, I felt like if I wanted to get my story out there, your podcast will be the platform that I want to get a story out there, and that's when I reached out to you. And a different aspect, you know, there is another thing we have in common which is us being with disability. Yeah. So I felt like there was a lot of connection there. Yeah. So there was a to to want to share this story, and I don't know for other people, but listening to the other stories about five words, I was like, oh, wow. People really have it challenging. Like when I listen to other people's stories, I'm like, you know what? Yes, my challenge is my challenge, but there's a lot to be grateful for. Like I said, I don't have any pain.
1: Yeah, it's all about perspective, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for your very kind words. I am really honored. And, you know, there are days when... I really get discouraged and I'm like, oh my God, I'm going through so much. I need to just not do this anymore. And then like people like you show up and give me another reason to keep going. So I really want to thank you so much for saying that. And thank you for the encouragement. Thank you for, you know, choosing this platform to share your story. And we don't take that for granted at all. I am super honored. And I hope that when other people hear your story, they can have the same feeling that you had when you heard another person's story on this platform. And like I mentioned the other day to you, I was trying to figure out, lay my hands on the connection that we have and boom, you know, it was that mutual experience that we have with, you know, having a sibling that has a disability. So, you know, I was just thinking, I'm like, maybe someday we can talk about it again. (laughs) It's such a heavy topic. I don't, you know, like you need to prepare yourself extremely like you have to really prepare yourself because it takes an extreme emotional toll on anybody after, you know, talking about a a very heavy topic like that. But uh, I'm glad that that topic inspired you to even start your own conversation in your own circle. But I just want to thank you again so much for coming on here. And you're always welcome to share whatever story that you want. Okay. So I want to thank you and I thank the listeners for listening and I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye.
0: Anyo fambad thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another